Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to reveal the five little things from their life that they would be happy to see preserved in a time capsule. Well, four things they want to preserve because they treasure them, and one thing that they would like to be rid of by burying it in the ground and banishing it from their life forever. Choosing those things in this episode is the actress, stand-up comedian and writer Andy Osho, whose 15-year career spans film, TV, theatre and stand-up, as well as UK TV drama and comedy credits including Holby City, EastEnders and Death in Paradise. Andy played Jenny Donahue in Sky Atlantic's drama Curfew, co-starring with Sean Bean, Billy Zane and Miranda Richardson, as well as Malachi Kirby. She made her US TV debut in Finding Carter and her film projects include Lights Out, Swinging with the Finkels and Shazam. Other projects include the groundbreaking HBO BBC drama I May Destroy You and national treasure Kiri, which became Channel 4's highest rated drama. She was also recently in the Olivier-nominated play The Miser, her West End debut. Andy wrote and starred in Twin Thing, made for Sky Arts, and created her own E4 sketch pilot, The Andy O Show. Andy's debut novel, Asking for a Friend, has just been published with HarperCollins. Andy is an award-winning stand-up comedian with three national tours and a raft of TV appearances. In the UK, she starred in two episodes of BBC's Live at the Apollo. She also starred in Mock the Week and Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And in the US, TV appearances include The Late Late Show, At Midnight and The Last Call with Carson Daly. She has appeared at two set-out solo shows at the Edinburgh Festival, appeared at the O2 Arena in London, and she even has her own podcast, Creative Source, launching on the 9th of February 2021. Now that's what I call busy. Far too busy to talk to me, obviously, so until next time, thank you for listening. No, 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 it's lockdown. No actors that busy. I hope you enjoy it. Um, should we should we just start? I've got my cup of tea, so I'm happy. Fantastic, days. you're happy. Yeah. So, Andy, we've never actually met, have we? No, I know. It's lovely to meet you too, and it's so weird. Like when you know someone's so familiar to you, but you actually <laughs> haven't. Met, so you have to actually act like you haven't met before, rather than go, "Oh my god, <laughs> it's you!" And I saw you in this and this and this. So yeah, but it's lovely. <laughs> it is lovely. Yeah. So we're going to talk about five things that you want to put into a time capsule. Your time capsule. It's very specific to you. So anything from your life you can put in there. So let's launch into it. What's your first item? Okay, so 
See, I got a bit like organized about this. I've got categories. So (laughs) my first category was food. And then I was like, is there one food that I could pick? And I couldn't. So I went for my whole kitchen. (laughs) Oh, lovely. (laughs) I want to put my whole kitchen in a time capsule. That's fair enough. Yeah, there's plenty of room. Don't worry. Oh, good, good. Infinite space. Well, you know what it is, is I just love cooking so much and Mm. I spend so much time in my kitchen. That's why I think I couldn't pick just one thing because there's like when you get into cooking, it's like any kind of geeky, nerdy thing. You get into (laughs) like your specific kit that you like (laughs) and like you discover. I mean, I'm not like proper sort of fancy Hester Blumenthal type stuff. Like I'm not, you know, making honey um, you know, weird things with, with honey. <laughs> I can't honey even think of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I do, I just love being in the kitchen. So what's your favourite thing to cook? I'm like not a sweet, I don't really have a sweet tooth at all. So like Bake Off to me is just like this dark art that I don't understand. And I sort of, <laughs> I've got the fear. Like they, they asked me to be on, is it Slice on the Side or something? They're, yeah, they're yeah. like spin-off show. They asked me to do that once and I sort of got palpitations because I was like, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> and then they said, oh, can you bake something? I was like, what? <laughs> bread. I can do bread. But I've got a bread machine. You know what I mean? That's uh, yeah, how I yeah, would have done it. Yeah. So savoury stuff is what I really like to mm. cook. Yeah, and, me- too i love to eat savory stuff i'm not that bothered about sweet stuff yeah there's i I mean i think people are just predisposed one way or the other aren't they yeah or maybe trained i don't know (laughs) i don't know i think i just love the salt flavors you know Mm. like i i love a burger it's like (laughs) my when i when i'm feeling like you know what you've worked really hard you deserve it it's a it's a burger it's going to be something like that. That's your um, last meal in a prison, is it? Well, I mean, look, if we're t- I'm on death row. Okay, that's <laughs> I'm, another I'm question. I'm not suggesting you're going down that route. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> well, no, I do think about this sometimes. I don't think about the crime that I would have committed, but I do think about, <laughs> well, if I was in those circumstances, what would I want? I think if I think I'd get something that took a really long time to cook. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Just enough time for my pardon to come through. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, a thousand-year-old egg, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But start with a new one. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I like the kitchen. My wife is a brilliant cook, though. She Mm. seems to be able to take almost anything and turn it into a a marvellous meal. And she never measures anything. She just does it by eye. Yeah, my mum's like that. She's just like, and if I cook with her, she'll be watching me. She doesn't say it, but she's like, um, uh-huh. <laughs> like if she sees me put too many potatoes in or whatever it is. I never get it right, especially when she's watching me. Uh, so this is an inherited skill then? Well, I mean, I've got it when she's not watching me. Like I can, but then again, I, I probably just eat leftovers and think that I've just made the right amount. Do you know what I mean? Like I just eat what would normally be leftovers. But mm. um, yeah, I think... There is something intuitive about being in the kitchen and maybe that's why sometimes people feel intimidated if they don't cook regularly, that Mm. they feel like, oh, if I haven't been cooking all the time, then it's too late for me. You know, go ahead, save yourselves. I can't be saved sort of thing. But I think you can pick it up for sure. Yeah, and it's funny how people think that cooking takes a long time. I mean, it can do, can take an enormous amount of time. But there are amazing meals you can make in 15, 20 minutes easily. I used to spend ages in the kitchen and then I figured that out that, yeah, first of all, we're eating at nine o'clock. That's ridiculous. And secondly, it's just like you can make really delicious flavors in a really short amount of time. So Mm. I've gone out to find those lovely little simple meals that you can make when you've got half an hour and you just you just want to sort of collapse in front of the telly rather than be in the kitchen for hours. If you buy a pre-packed pasta of some sort and then it says warming up in the oven, it can take 45 minutes, whereas making pasta takes 20. Exactly. Even like waiting for a takeaway, when you do the maths, you're just like, you could have literally made the meal in the 45 (laughs) minutes it took them to prepare it. And you're watching the delivery driver sort of go round and pass your house and circle back. You would have made a lovely meal. And so, you know, sometimes it's worth just like rolling up your sleeves and getting in the kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so you don't have the sort of specialist equipment then? I've got some bits. I mean, my kitchen's not going to make any sort of professional chef jealous in any way, but it's just like those little things. I don't like buying gadgets for the sake of it. I've got this thing called a suribashi, which is like a, it's like a pestle and mortar, but it's a bigger bowl and the inside of it is sort of ribbed. And so it's ridged. Should I say ribbed sounds like something else. But anyway, (laughs) and then you get this sort of, you know, stick to pound, whatever it is you're making, but it just um, 
you know, you can just work with like coarser things in there. And like I use it for pesto and all kinds of things. It's just Mm. this really lovely, it feels really sort of earthy, this Mm. bowl, like just like you wrap your arm around it and you're just like hammering away at this pesto. You take out all your frustrations of the day and like pounding (laughs) your basil leaves, you know. (laughs) I'm moving towards 40 years of marriage. Uh Uh-huh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm impressed myself. I can't believe. (laughs) I'm impressed. I I can't believe she's still here. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, after all this time, finally, uh, actually not last summer, I did not have completely wipe out 2020. I just, oh, God, yeah. It doesn't In my count. head, it's gone. It didn't, <laughs> so I think last year, but not the summer before, uh-huh. my wife finally bought, well, I say finally, I, I, at the time I was trying to dissuade her, but she bought really expensive knives. Oh. I know. Yes. They are brilliant. Yes. It makes such a difference. This is music to my ears because my mum didn't have great knives, Mm. which makes her an even better cook because she was working with, you know, equipment that was like below the standard of her cooking. Do you know what I mean? And then she got some, then I I think I bought her a new knife, but there is something special about a great knife in the kitchen. Mm. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. The simplicity of peeling with a really nice sharp knife. Oh, my gosh. And having the right knife for the right job as well. Yeah. Oh, it makes all the difference. Yeah, well, that's what we've got now. 40 years it took. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a thing of joy. You, and they'll last you for such a long time. And it'll be ages between having to sharpen them as well. Like, my kitchen nerdness is coming out. But that's what's great about them. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a kitchen nerd. It's my truth. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you're a stand-up comedian. You're going out mostly in the evenings, aren't you, working in the evenings? You have to quite often eat late. Yeah, that was definitely a thing of, like, trying to have some semblance of a healthy diet while you're, you know, on the road for several hours sometimes and then getting home late and stuff. So, yeah, it's tricky. But that's why, to me, it was important to just at least cook once or twice during the day. So breakfast and lunch was cooked at home and then you know, try and make a healthy choice out on the road. Yeah. It's not as easy. <laughs> no, it's not. No, so now you're at home most of the time. Has your day shifted? So when you're working, when you're writing? Oh, yeah, 100%. So I'm every meal is cooked at home. Like, I'm not some food angel sort of thing. I do order takeaways and, you know, when we could, I would eat out, you know, mm. that type of thing. But I just, I love being in the kitchen. So it doesn't even occur to me to do something other than cook my meals at home, you know? Mm. I actually find it really relaxing after work as well. And also, because I I don't eat a lot of meat and, well, animal products, basically. I'm not vegan, but I just made this, it, it just sort of naturally fell away. And so for me, the kind of challenge or the journey now is, oh, how can I enjoy what I'm eating and enjoy the flavors that I used to, but they're all plant-based. So that adds another little, it's almost like a game in there, sort of little game show going on, (laughs) trying to figure (laughs) out how to recreate these flavors, you know. And you can, can't you, without actually having to eat something that has been made to look like a sausage. You can eat things that are just as flavorsome. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's sort of the intermediate step if you are going down that road of either going vegan or having more vegan meals, is those things are kind of good placeholders mm-hmm. or those sort of meat substitute type things. But I wouldn't dwell in that space. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like they're okay, but ultimately they're still processed food. And if the point of going vegan is also health, then you're just eating more processed food. So I, I don't tend to buy too much of that stuff. No, no, very wise, although we've just discovered a fantastic vegan substitute for mints. Right. And being, a, you know, brought up in the 60s, school dinners, uh-huh. largely mints. Yeah. I still hanker after it. Oh, you know, right, Even though yeah. we're sort of avoiding meat as much as we can. Beef is gone now. Right, okay. My wife was telling me the other day that the amount of carbon dioxide, the footprint right. of producing beef, in comparison to chicken or eating pork. Right. For every kilogram of chicken, it costs about two and a half kilograms of carbon dioxide. Right. Locally produced beef is something like 45 (gasps) kilograms. Wow. Isn't that astonishing? That is. I mean, I I guess as well, there's something in like the amount of feed that they have to produce as well and the amount of land that they take up to have them sort of roam as well, especially if they are considered to be sort of free range or something like that. So, 
Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I made these decisions mainly because I was starting to feel this disconnect with like eating animal products. I still enjoy meat. And even like on my Instagram, I have this hashtag like vegan eats for meat freaks, which is basically <laughs> I'm trying to share vegan meals yeah. that are specifically for people who aren't ready to go completely vegan, the same as me, but want to have lovely food that's plant-based still and you know ha have that hybrid diet kind of thing yeah i've seen it every time i think oh that looks lovely oh cool <laughs> well it's funny actually because yesterday you're talking about that sort of hankering for mints and i know exactly what you mean yesterday i made um I, have you heard of dragon pie no what is it it's basically cottage pie but instead of using mints you use beans and ah. and it doesn't sound like it would be that great and i was like hmm when i first heard about it but mm, the flavors because the beans mm. that you use have just got so much sort of meaty deep flavors in them and then you chuck in some sun-dried tomatoes and some mushrooms and stuff like that and honestly it's like a cottage pie or a shepherd's pie or something it's really lovely are you going to publish all these I well, I publish them on my stories, you know. <laughs> That's about as far as I get in terms of making it, you know. I just like sharing them because I was taught by someone who really is committed to sharing whole foods cooking. So it's not even just about being vegan. It's about just going back to basic ingredients. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because as soon as we allow industry to manage our food, we've, we sacrifice something really important. So it's about sort of bringing that process back into the kitchen where it was, yeah. you know, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. It's certainly, I think, something that people will be discovering during lockdown, that whole thing of, can I cook? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you sort of will need to. But I... Uh, I was very annoyed to see these photographs of the amount that's being supplied to oh, children yeah. through these companies that have been set up. And you think that somewhere along the line something very serious is going wrong. Somebody's making money out of poverty. I mean, that is a really good way of putting it. I mean, I was horrified. A friend posted it on Facebook and then today it's you know gone viral and it's on the news and stuff. So, yeah, everyone's kind of aware of it. But you're just like, how is this even happening? As if we're not going to notice. But you see, the problem is sometimes that people who are in circumstances like that, they're sometimes so busy just surviving that they haven't got time to be vocal about it. But thankfully, you know, in, in this situation, somebody was, or people have been. And we've got the great Marcus Rashford. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> on the news, they were saying, you know, they want to um, put this right before the wrath of Marcus Rashford descends on sort of <laughs> Yes. So, it's like too right. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson, uh, uh, Prime Minister, I'm afraid... Um, it's Marcus Rashford on the phone. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Hide. Everybody, hide. Pretend we're out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Give him some fruit and some carrots. Tell him to send those out. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. Well, maybe he'll pop into your kitchen when we put it into the time capsule and you can... Uh... You can chat to him. You can show him this is what we should be supplying to these this children. This is 30 quid's worth of food. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Okay, we will put your kitchen and all its contents into the time capsule. That's your first item. Amazing. So what's number two? So number two, so like I said, I went categories with this. Mm -hmm. um, and so number two is films. And it's very difficult because I have, I literally, I have a top 10 and I keep a list of them on my phone for some reason. I don't know why, like in case I forget or something. But um, recently I watched one of them, or th well, three of them. They're a trilogy, but I count them as one. So I want to put the Matrix trilogy oh, into right. the time capsule. They are amazing films, aren't they? Do you know, I think I've only ever seen them once. Well, I think I've made up for you watching them the once by watching them, like, repeat it. I just love them. I wasn't sure about the second one, which a lot of people feel like it was just a CGI fest. And I kind of felt like that as well. But then just recently, I watched um, some making of documentaries and interviews and stuff. And then I rewatched them and I was just like, oh, my God, my mind is blown by the level of detail and thought that the directors put into putting these movies together. They always conceive them as a trilogy. They're not sequels. Two and three aren't sequels. They were always a three-part story, which I just think is incredible. It is, isn't it, that you have the nerve to release one film and never really explain to people that this isn't it. Not only the nerve to do that, but that they actually went to the studio. They've never directed a feature film before, and, this, and they came with the concept of The Matrix. And mm. then the studio were like 
okay, so you guys have never <laughs> um, like made anything on this scale. So th- th- that, I'm not going to be able to make this float. So they gave them um, like, a, I don't know, a couple of million dollar budget for a smaller film called Bound. They made that. The Bound was great. And then the studio backed them for The Matrix. So they had practically no pedigree. Amazing. And then they created these, this incredible trilogy of films. And at the time, Keanu Reeves... The biggest star in the world at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was huge. But also, what I love about things like The Matrix is that um, they offered that role to Will Smith. Oh. But he didn't really connect with the script. He didn't get it. And so he passed. And it's kind of like, I I try and imagine what it would have been like with Will Smith instead of Keanu Reeves. And I think, gosh, thank God he passed. Because I I think it would have been a totally different film. Mm, I agree. It's easy to denigrate what Keanu does, I think. Yeah, and people yeah. have done. Yeah. Gone, you know, he doesn't really act. <laughs> you know, but actually, I think it's possibly the hardest form of acting, that thing where, in fact, you hardly react to anything. Yeah. You know, everything is internalised and you don't know what the person is thinking at all. Yeah. And also that thing of sustaining the suspense of a film like that. Yeah. And not looking ridiculous, not just all the time, you know, furrowing your brow, which is what I'd do. Oh, God, it's dangerous out there. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I I would be absolutely stumped. (laughs) It's a hard um, sort of style of acting because... It's very easy for it to be sent up, do you know what I mean? Because it's so, everything's so serious and the Mm. stakes are so high. So I think what's (laughs) brilliant about what the Wachowskis did is that there's a lot of humour in the films. Little moments, little asides, little looks, little beats that are kind of comical that deflate the sort of worthiness so that Mm. it keeps, uh, you know, keeps the audience kind of on board, on side kind of thing. Yeah. I'm sure if Keanu Reeves had been English, he would have ended up as Bond. Do you reckon? Yeah, because I think you absolutely need that staying in the seriousness of it and at the same time being able to deliver those throwaway comedy lines, which he does yeah. very well. Yeah, yeah. How, you know, um, the lead actor in Bridgerton, he's been mooted now as like a possible Bond, ah, well, which yes. is exciting. I've seen it. It's really good, I think. It's very good. I'm afraid I fast-forwarded through quite a lot of the sex. <laughs> Mike, uh, that's the best bit. <laughs> is it? Is it? I, I wanted more Ben Miller. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm quite keen, quite interested to find out what your ten films are. Um, I can remember some of them off the top of my head. So um, Shawshank Redemption is definitely in there. I mean, it's... it's because for me, my top 10 films aren't necessarily the films that I think are the best. If I was having to pick the best film, I'd probably say, you know, Godfather 2 is probably one that I've watched and gone, yeah, that is probably the best film. I mean, it's it's not competition, is it? It's, it's, it's creativity, so it's hard to say the best. But it's just films that I can watch over and over again and just see something brilliant or something new every time. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it's definitely Shawshank Redemption, Back to the Future, mm-hmm. I love... Um, <laughs> Uh, limitless, even though it's kind of implausible oh, right. in places yeah. um, and, and slightly ridiculous. Um, For me, Groundhog Day is on that list. Uh, that, I rewatched that recently because I felt like it's a film that I know about more than I actually know. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I don't feel like I've seen it that many times. So I rewatched it and it is, you're right, it's great. It's beautiful, beautiful film. Yes, very uplifting, I think. You know, when it's a story about a man who's basically so bored with life going on and on and on and on that he keeps trying to kill himself and then finds redemption through love. Yeah, that's that's nice. There you are. And then Nerd That I Am, I sort of went online and just uh, was reading up about people speculating how many times they felt like he looped round. Mm. I just took it as read that it was just the the number that they showed in the film. But of course, it couldn't have possibly been. (laughs) It it couldn't be. He becomes an accomplished concert pianist. And uh, and an ice sculptor. He learns about everybody's life in incredible detail. So we are talking probably... Tens of years, maybe. Thousands of times round. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Which is beautiful in a way of just like, imagine that. Just It's sort of beautiful and it's tragedy. I just remembered some other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, aliens. Oh, Alien, I found too frightening. 
when I watched Alien, I was 18 and I was on a film course. And so we had to watch, we had to watch it mm. because we were going to study it and analyze it and, you know, to pick it apart afterwards. And I was in trauma. It's <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, oh my God. Like, cause I, I wasn't, I was only 18. So I wasn't used to watching like horror films and stuff like, I mean, it's essentially, it's a horror film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Really? It is. Um, yeah. Oh man, that is some scary, scary filmmaking. Really scary. And I can't cope with, you know, I, I couldn't go with Andy Pandy when I was a kid. <laughs> Bill and Ben, will the gardener come back and catch them? You know, I mean, I, all my life I've gone, you've no idea what I'm talking about, have you? I, uh, I'm, I know who they are. Yeah, but... it doesn't matter. It's a childhood <laughs> thing. But, you know, even from that age, I've been frightened of these things. And then my wife the other day was reminding me that um, it must have been about six months after we started going out, she took me to see a midnight showing of Halloween, the film Halloween, Ooh. on Halloween. Oh, God. And I lasted about 10 minutes before I was literally hiding behind the chair and shouting at the screen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> she, she always cites it as, that's really where our relationship should have ended. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. I Listen, I'm that school. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I'm totally like that in the cinema. I went to see Ghost Story. Do you remember the theatre production, mm. Ghost Story? And I was exactly the same. I thought I was booking it for Halloween night. And then as Halloween was approaching, I couldn't understand how it was so easy to get tickets for a scary theatre show on Halloween. Like, surely it'd be packed out. Anyway, so as Halloween was approaching, I sort of looked at the the ticket again and I was like, oh my God. I'd booked it for New Year's Eve. So I'd booked it for the 31st of December, not October. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so the theatre was half empty, but I went yeah. anyways. Like my my um, my niece's mum came with me, and yeah, same as you, just wanted to hide. And there's no interval, so there's no, you know, respite from it. It's one of the scariest plays, apart from Woman in Black, obviously. Yeah, but it's, yeah, one of the scariest plays I've seen. Woman in Black, that's a play I could do, isn't it? Well, I mean, look, if we're the same, then I'm going to say, mm, kinda. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, but what's brilliant is like how much we suspend disbelief. We know it's not real. We mm. know there's some sort of technician with wires making that chair rock or whatever it is. But still, I don't know about you, but I feel so invested in what I'm seeing. It's just like, it's ridiculous. And actually, I'm just as bad when I'm in it. I have to say. Really? It, yeah, even though I've seen all the setup, I did casualty and there was a lot of blood around and I, I, I fainted. <gasps> oh, you didn't? I did. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I'd seen them pumping it in and I knew what it was, but I just, during the scene, I couldn't cope with it. Oh, I am sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't had me back. That's all I'm saying. Oh, no. But the, <laughs> the thing is, with gruesome stuff, I'm actually okay. It's the supernatural. That's mm. what finishes me off. I, I, Yeah, I just fall apart. Yeah. Well, The Matrix, I'm going to definitely watch them again. Yeah, I'd say there's something very profound in them. I mean, mm. they've just borrowed from loads and loads of philosophies, but the fact that they've even done that, and on top of that, laid incredible action sequences, I think is a real sort of, that's real craft. Okay, we should put all three of those films into the time capsule and you can watch them anytime you like. Excellent, I'm so pleased. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got your kitchen, so you're cooking. And you're watching films. I'm already, like, this is my uh, seventh heaven, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to ask you what your next category is. Okay, we're going to leave Andy for about 30 seconds whilst we listen to an advert. But we'll be back very shortly. Thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, we're back. So let's find out what else Andy Osho would like to put in her time capsule. So my next category is music. So, you know, once the films are done, got to have something to listen to. Mm-hmm. So I want to put one album into the time capsule. I want to put Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Oh, what a great album. Yeah. That may be the greatest album of all time. I mean, can we talk? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible. The first time I heard it was obviously many years after it came out. I think it was it came mm. out in 1973. And so I heard it maybe like 20 years later or whatever. And several of the songs, people had sampled sections of them. So Coolio had sampled, um, oh, what's the name? Something Paradise. He, yeah. you know, sampled that for Gangster's Paradise. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing where these songs that I thought I knew, or songs that I did know, these ones that had sampled them, I was hearing their origins. It's almost like where they were born kind of thing. Yeah. Which was incredible. But just, and then all these other tracks that I didn't know were on that album, like Sajik. Anyway, I had to put together a playlist for my book. And so the publisher just said, oh, you know, what what songs would you put? So I ended up listening to some songs from Songs in the Key of Life. And I was like, oh, that's going on. Oh, that's going on. Oh, wait, that has to go on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd, and then I wish, everyone knows I wish, like, dung, 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 dung. And he plays so many of the instruments on these tracks as well. It's, it is also that thing, isn't it, of using a keyboard as a percussion instrument. Right. The beat so often in his songs is the banging of the keyboard, is the mixing of all the different keyboard sounds. Uh-huh. Creates the rhythm section. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Brilliant. And then um, there's another one, uh, a track called Another Star, which, again, it's just got this sort of driving, you're talking about percussion, it's got this just driving instrumentation through it that just is so, it almost feels like African, like really sort of tribal kind of thing. It's this, but then, you know, obviously Western musical instruments over the top of it as well. So it's just this wall of sound coming mm. at you. It's just a really, really incredible track. He'd been a major recording artist for a long time when he mm. made that. And yet here he is still. Yeah. What a man. Yeah. I guess because he, he was so young when he started, you know, little Stevie, he must have been, you know, young teenager. So he already knew his craft. It felt like he sort of <laughs> felt like he came out fully formed sort of thing, this incredible sort of genius musician. But uh, yeah, so uh, Pastime Paradise is the one that um, Coolio sampled for Gangster's Paradise. Mm. And then um, obviously George Michael covered as as well. So um, I don't know if I'd heard that before I'd heard songs in the key of life, but yeah, there's just like, it's almost like the birthplace of so many incredible songs and moments in songs as well. As a person who likes to sing, which I am, I was always inspired by people like Stevie Wonder because they didn't accept that their voice had a limit. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He sings as if, well, that's where I want to go now. That beautiful song, I'm a man of many wishes. Oh, lately. Lately. Oh, what a beautiful song. But towards the end of that song, when you think he's gone as high as he can, he just goes absurdly high. Yeah. But not into falsetto. He just sings it because it needs to be sung. Yeah. And all great singers, I think, do that. It's coming from the feeling in the lyrics, isn't it? Mm. And I think that's what drives the vocals. Yeah. Because I think that's what's really, when I did used to watch X Factor, I don't really go in for that sort of stuff anymore. But when I did, I think that was what I always noticed was absent from the singers that were great. They were technically great vocalists, but they weren't feeling what they were singing. No. No, I mean, which is why somebody who doesn't have a great voice can still really move you when they sing. I mean, Bob Dylan although I think probably he's got a better voice than he pretends. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. When you start to sing 
and I started to sing professionally. I remember going to, to an audition, the man said, well, so what's your range? And I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, what's your top note? I said, I don't know. Let's find I, out. <laughs> let's find out. And he said, can you sing this? I went, oh, yeah, I can, yeah. And he just kept going up and he said, can you do I said, yeah. And he said, you should know you've got a range like that if you've got a range like that. I said, well, I'd never been asked to do it before. Nobody said to me, do you want to sing this high? Yeah. So maybe if I'd known that and also had been a brilliant songwriter and actually had any talent at all, <laughs> I could have written one song like Stevie Wonder. Oh, man. Wouldn't that be great to just mm. like, yeah. But I mean, I suppose the thing is, just like any skill, we're looking at it through the eyes of not being able to, or thinking at least we can't do that thing. But what that is, is years and years of work, isn't it? And whatever you're doing, if you put the hours in, you'll get there, but you won't relate to it with the same awe because you would have walk that path to get there kind of thing. Because yeah. I, I kind of feel like with my singing, I realised that to be able to sing in the way that I'd like to, the only way to do it is through application. It's through practising, it's through doing my scales every day, doing vocal warm-ups, maybe even having a teacher or a coach. And then I was like, I'm not going to do that <laughs> because <laughs> I don't have time. And therefore I have to let go of this dream mm -hmm. because I'm not willing to do the work. And that's really what it comes down to with any creative skill. You know, I, I do, I'm starting a podcast too, and we're talking about creativity. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I think is really interesting is this conversation we have around talent and how people think that that's all it is that, that has people have a successful career. It's like Taylor Swift still has singing lessons. Yeah. She's humble enough to know that to stay top of her game, she has to keep working her instrument. Mm -hmm. And that's what you guys are calling talent is actually just applying yourself every day, doing your 10,000 hours. Yes. You hear people say, oh, I wish I could play the piano like that. Yeah. And you think, well, they just didn't pick it up one day. Oh, just, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll have a go at the piano, actually. Oh, oh look. Oh, it's quite easy. I can do it. Well, there's. I think it's in um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. She talks about this pianist. This person approached him after his um, concert and she said, oh, my gosh, your, your piano playing is, ex is exquisite. You know, I would give my life to be able to play the piano like you. And he said, I did. Very good. You know, and that's what it comes down to, isn't mm -hmm. it? It's just like, you got to put in the hours. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. There's a pianist called Horowitz. He was a classical pianist. He apparently was a great performer of the music of uh, Rachmaninoff. And apparently once performed and Rachmaninoff was in the audience. <gasps> oh, gosh. And at the end, the audience, a massive round of applause, and Rachmaninoff got up from his chair and he thought, oh, no, I've offended him. But what he did was he walked across the front of the stage and up the steps <gasps> and onto the stage and hugged him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I don't know why I told you that story, but it's just when people, they achieve something that is just beyond human imagination. Yeah. Incredible. There's something about music. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I wish I understood why it so affects us the way it does. Other things do move us, you know, you can see a piece of art or, you know, watch a film or whatever, but there's something about music that just, you know, just goes right into the core of who we are. I yeah. wonder if, it, if it's just about uh, bringing together of vibrations and the whole universe is vibrations essentially. So maybe that's why music has such a profound effect on us is it's just like, you know, vibrations that we can really experience. I don't know. The rhythm of life. There you go. <laughs> I wonder where I got that phrase from. Never mind. <laughs> okay, we're going to take the great Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Yes. And it goes. That's the third item in the time capsule. Yes. So we've done music, films and food. Yes. <laughs> next. Right. So then my next category was books. And I'm like, okay, how could you pick one, right? So I quite like picking stuff that's the birthplace of things. So I thought I'd put in the thesaurus because I'll tell you what, Asking for a Friend is my first book. And I have never relied on a thesaurus and a dictionary so much. Mm. Like you think you know words and then you have to find other words because you've already used those <laughs> words. You know what I mean? And then you realise that you're using words and 
you might be misusing those words. And if you're speaking to someone, that's fine. But if you're going to commit it to the page, you know, you have to, you know, not be using those words incorrectly. So it was just a godsend. It's a lovely thing to browse through as well, isn't it, actually? It's so fascinating. Like, I think actually probably if I'm allowed to, to have the dictionary and the thesaurus in combination, because you're right. Yeah, I don't see why not. It's just like, you, you know, you're just like sitting there. I don't know if you do the same thing, but you're just like, hang on a minute. What, what does that word mean? I, you know, say you've just heard something on the news or just a word that you think you know what it means. Mm-hmm. And actually then you realise if you try and sort of give a definition to somebody, you actually realise you don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, so I just, I, I just think it's brilliant. And, I, and I'm really fascinated by a sort of etymology, like how did words come about? Where, mm. What languages have we taken these from? And how did this word come into being? Because some words you can see, they're just cut and shut. They're just two words bolted together. Do you know what I mean? Like tailgating or something. But others aren't like that. So I think it's really great to be able to look them up. Um, So this is a possible quiz game. Have you ever played this game where basically somebody will tell you a word from a dictionary and you have to tell them what the two words either side of it are? Oh, my God. Um, I've never played that game. Have you never? <laughs> no. Is that a game that is unique to my family? It, it could well be. I like that. I mean, like, what size dictionary are we using here? Mm, or, big, big. Oh, you my have, God. <laughs> you must be fair. It must be the closest word that you'd know. So if I say charge, you'd have to think, all right, C-H-A, there's lots of those. C-H-A-R, there's lots of those. C-H-A-R-G. Hmm. Okay, so... Possibly not many of those. Okay, we won't accept sort of things like charging or charge. Right, so they can't be sort of derivatives of that same word. They have to be like a completely new word. So you then go C-H-R-F, I doubt it, C-H-R, and you work it back that way. Oh, okay, so there's kind of a logic to, because I was just like, you'd have to pluck that word from your brain, but actually now you're describing it. It's quite a logic to to, to finding out what those words could be. Yes. Hours of fun. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) See, I can see me being into that and then the rest of the family going, ah, can we not just play Monopoly? (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping it could become the new Pointless. That is good. Is it? Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. We need new game show formats, right? We do. And also, yeah, because we got Countdown as um, one that's about a love of words, really, Mm -hmm. about people having to know it. So that's another one where it's a different approach to a love of words. Well, you could give... I'm working this out as we go here, actually. I'm working out a new quiz game with you. (laughs) (laughs) What you could do is you could give points according to how close you were. So you find the 10 words that are before it and the 10 words that are after it that people would know. Yeah. And the closest one gets 10 points. And surely there's got to be a time constraint as well, because otherwise, if you give people that time to work it out, then they could probably get it as long as they know the words. You know, like Countdown has that clock. There's got to be a a time pressure as well. You've got to be really good at your alphabet, at knowing, you know, what is before and after. But you've got to know the words as well, because you can have a guess... Mm. But if you're wrong, obviously, lose points. <laughs> oh, it could be cutthroat. Or you could steal from your opponents. I, I do like it when people steal in uh, quiz shows. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll not discuss it any further because obviously we'll be approaching the BBC sometime next week. Absolutely. Right, good. good. I like it. I like it. Okay. <laughs> good. Well, uh, yeah, a thesaurus and a dictionary are lovely things to have. Yeah. And I'm glad that you talk about them as books rather than things that you look up on your phone. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, to be fair, I probably did look them up a lot on my computer, but I do relate to them as books because oh, just books are just a lovely tactile thing to have and to leave through. If I get sent stuff by my publisher, I love it when it's a physical copy of a book. I mean, obviously, in the times that we're in now, it's easier for them sometimes to just send an ebook rather than the hard copy. But if it is possible, I always want the hard copy. And I've been trying to wean myself onto my Kindle and I've had it for two years and I only put a book on it for the first time last year. <laughs> <laughs> because I just love turning pages and, you know, especially with like reference books and things like that or non-fiction where you want to go back and, oh, hang on a minute, what were they saying about blah, blah, blah? I want to just go back a couple of pages or a few chapters. I love that sort of the tactile experience with books. Yes, well, it's disappearing in all areas. Which is cool, actually. So it's like, you know, save the planet and all that. But 
it is something that you can't replace of just like, you know, putting the needle onto the record yeah. or leaping through a book and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a different thing. <laughs> then in that case, we should definitely put a lovely dictionary in there. Excellent. You know, not massive. I'm going to go for one where you will find lots of words that you wouldn't know. Yes, yeah. perfect. I love it. And a thesaurus. <laughs> yes. Okay, right. So we've got one final item to put in there, Andy. Is this the thing that I want to forget about? That's absolutely what it is, yes. Okay. Mm. So I kind of sort of made up a term to describe it. Mm -hmm. I've called it the religion of me. (laughs) So it's kind of like that individualized me first kind of attitude that humanity has at the moment. And I'd love to put that in the time capsule and replace it with the religion of we. And not even a religion, just a philosophy of we, actually, where it's us, we're all in this together, but really all in it together, not in a, I'm very rich, you're all in it together (laughs) kind of thing that we kind of have. Because I was thinking about other things, obviously, the obvious things would be like racism and things like that. But I think that beneath all that comes this kind of fear of if I don't take care of my own needs first, then my life will fall apart or, or, th- or the world will be horrible or what I think is most important. And that, I think, all comes from the religion of me. And, of course, racism and all those things are, in a way, built into that. Yeah. They are built into thinking about yourself and not being able to put yourself in the position of other people, not having any empathy, really. Exactly. So, so those things are only possible if you've dehumanized a certain group, like even like homophobia and sexism and all the, all those things, they all come from this religion of me of like, I have to dehumanize all of you out there so that my stuff can be most important. Because if you humanized people that you were talking about or dealing with, you just wouldn't be able, it would be incongruous to put your needs above theirs because it wouldn't make sense. It literally wouldn't make sense. I remember Nick um, uh, Robinson, a BBC correspondent, he did this documentary about sort of national wealth and stuff. He went out and he interviewed people and he was asking them what they considered rich. And everyone just said basically an amount of money that was more than they had. Mm. <laughs> so so to somebody else, we're the rich ones. <laughs> to us, somebody else is the rich ones. To Jeff Bezos, he's like, mm, I've only had as much money as... You know, fill in the missing... Do you know what I mean? So it's not about... I don't think it's about who's got what. It's like what we do with it. Yeah, absolutely. I read an article in a paper that had worked out how much money had been generated in the world within a year. (gasps) Then they compared that with the amount of money that had been invested or was visible, as it were. Mm -hmm. And more than the gross domestic product of the United States was missing and they don't know where it is. Do you think that's what's down people's sofas, though? <laughs> Could it be that? Maybe we've all <laughs> dropped them in the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I'll find the odd coin or two. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, accumulatively, you never know. No, there's a lot of us. I <laughs> <laughs> See, I blame Michael Jackson. I do. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man in the mirror. Okay. Look around the world. I see children starving, people dying. And I think, okay, well, I know what I need to do. I need to start with me. Yeah, The man in the mirror. Me. Yeah. I'll change my ways and that will change the world. It's very self-centred, isn't it? Oh, no, I I would say no. No? Because I don't think there's enough of that, actually. As a society, we're very good, as individuals even, should I say, really. We're very good at going, well, if they just did blah, blah, blah then everything would be okay if such and such gave more to charity. Well, okay, but how much are you giving? Stop saying, you know, why don't the rich people do it? Because as you say, we are rich. In someone's mind, we are, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's like, instead of saying, oh, Jeff Bezos should be doing blah, 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 or let me put it another way, as well as saying yes. Jeff Bezos should be doing blah, 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 I've got to also look at myself and say, well, actually, proportionately, out of my income, How much of mine goes to charity or how much of my time do I give to others, either people in my network or just on a voluntary basis? How much am I thinking about recycling and what I can do to reduce my personal carbon footprint rather than pointing at planes in the sky, shaking my fists, uh, people going on holiday? Do you know what I mean? So I think that's what the sentiment of that song is. It's like, start with you. Worry about you. I'm so relieved it's not Michael Jackson's fault. (laughs) I I mean, there's a lot of things he he has not done right. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the sentiment of that song is like spot on. It's be the change that you want to see in the world. 
Very good. Yeah. Very good indeed. Yeah, okay. Then I've always been wrong about that song. Have I convinced you? You have. You have. (laughs) Hey, look, I'm starting with me. I'm changing my ways. You see? What I've noticed about myself personally is I'm so good at going, do you know what they should do? Do you know what their problem is? Do you know what I mean? And I'm the person who is so often in the bleachers, like the sort of metaphorical bleachers going, well, if that was me, you know, I would do that. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I was made aware of that fabulous Roosevelt quote where he talks about, it's not about those people. Dare greatly. You're the one in the ring. Take advice from other people that have been there or who, or who are in the court with you, mm. essentially, rather than these jokers. <laughs> You know, in the cheap seats, telling you how to to play the game. They don't know. They're not on the court. Well, I think it's a fantastic sentiment. It's a brilliant thing to put in there. And it's a brilliant thing to get rid of the whole philosophy of me. Let's all think of we. We're going to need to. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Oh, my gosh. So much so. This is a destructive path, this individualised attitude that we, we've, we're we all cultivating. We're all culpable, you know, in our own way. And so, you know, this philosophy of we is what is going to turn things around. Mm. We the people, you know. Fantastic. So that definitely goes into the time capsule. We got rid of that. Awesome. That's got rid of the me, and now it's we. Yay! <laughs> we, we have had a really lovely time. Oh, definitely we. It's It's been awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I've loved it. It's been a joy. Thank you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, the lovely Andy Osho. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do tell your friends, or in some cases, your friend. And in one particular case, your imaginary friend. You know who I mean. In fact, you can subscribe to this podcast. Yes, I know I'm talking to you as if you're a five-year-old with no knowledge of what you're doing, but that's the nature of this final bit of a podcast. We say things like, you can subscribe on Acast or your favourite podcast provider, as if you don't know that. We also always ask people to rate us and leave a review. I mean, we're 60 episodes in. If you don't know that by now, you'll never know it. And I should imagine, if you wanted to follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, you have the ability to do it. The only really important stuff for you to know is that this was produced by my son, John Fenton Stevens, who also wrote the music. So, if you're looking for someone to write some for your podcast, get in touch with Pass the Peas Music. Right, that's just about it. Um, Oh, no, I have to say this. Uh, This was a cast-off production. And I suspect, like you, I haven't the faintest idea what that means. Keep well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 